Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fully Expressed Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Marhefka, and I am excited to bring you the following conversations with some of the most interesting people I have ever met. When I set out to start recording the Fully Expressed Podcast, my intention was not to be the biggest, the most listened to, the most profitable podcast, but my intention was to be the most vulnerable podcast. And so as I interview our guests, my desire is to bring up stories and share experiences that they haven't shared before or they don't share regularly, to let us into their world even deeper so that we may learn and grow from their stories. And so far, we've certainly done that. Please check out all the episodes we've recorded on Spotify, iTunes, and all the other platforms. And if you love this show, please leave us a review, let me know, and also share this with a friend who you think might enjoy it. Lastly, if you want to support this show, please go over to trainingcampforthesoul.com. Training Camp for the Soul is my company where we do emotional healing, inner child work, and we teach people how to truly transform their lives. This show is completely funded by Training Camp for the Soul, so if you want to support me in the show, please go check out everything we have to offer over there. If you want to see the show notes and anything more about this podcast, go to chrismarhefka.com slash fully expressed. And then lastly, go over and follow me on the Instagram at chrismarhefka, where I share my own personal stories vulnerably, openly, and honestly. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Expressed Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Adrian Ellison, and as we like to do, we're going to drop right in. So, Adrian, thanks for joining me today. You're so welcome. <laughs> drop in is such a like common term within our I know. community. <laughs> I know. That's what we're doing. We're going to drop in. That's what we're doing. Well, I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast. This just had me think of it, but the genesis of this whole show was after three back-to-back within a one-week period conversations. They all happen to be in a sauna, by the way. And after three back-to-back conversations that went for like an hour, there was the same thought of like, wow, we should have been recording that. And these are just the conversations that we have every day, which was my intention with the show is just to have conversations with the amazing, interesting, inspirational deeply committed people that I know to just share their stories, the conversations that we're having every day so that others may learn and grow from it. Yeah. And giving space for a new type of conversation to emerge because I have conversations every single day with my friends that are just super weird. Yeah. (laughs) The other day I got, I got um, tagged or like flagged in an Uber because the conversation made the driver uncomfortable. And then, you know, there's, then there's on the other side of that, I've had Uber drivers that have been like, you're an angel. Like you, you, you came today at the exact right time. And so it's always, <laughs> wow. Uh, that's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. It was really weird. It was like their, con- their conversation made me really uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Yeah, so just a normal thing. A normal yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. What are some of the normal conversations that you're having at this season of your life right now? They're pretty deep at this point based on where Myself, my journey, my friends, my partner's journeys kind of have all unraveled. And so there's a lot of conversations around 
sexual trauma and just how actually common it is. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you've never been molested, the conversation around have you ever felt violated is pretty much a hard ping for everyone. Mm -hmm. Consent, lots and lots of conversations around consent. It's not something that children are really taught. In fact, most children are taught that consent is not something they're allowed to have, that their parents make those decisions for them. So then we grow up with compliant adults, which is Mm -hmm. what the whole country is seeing, the whole world is seeing right now is whatever anybody says is, is goes, you know, where people's personal authority. So a lot of conversations about radical personal responsibility. So for instance, if I'm in a conversation with one of my friends and one of my friends makes pretty heavy projection, say that somebody showed up somewhere and that person doesn't like that person, instead of immediately going into the conversation of validating that person of being like, yeah, that person sucks or or Mm -hmm. whatever. Here's what I don't like and throwing my two cents. Right. It's just getting really curious about my friends and myself of like what tripped that wire. And the more curiosity that we can bring around that, the more awareness that we both have around what our needs are in community or what our needs are within each other. And then we get to validate what really is being called to be validated, which Mm -hmm. is just this brought up a very real emotion for me. And that emotion is very real and your experience is very real. However, your interpretation and the opinions that you have about another person, you know, may or may not be. So I feel like when we have those conversations, whether that's in the back of an Uber, because I don't get into an Uber and then I'm like, I'm in an Uber, I will have a normal surface (laughs) level. I'm just like, I'm living life 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 Mm -hmm. and people will move out of the way if they don't like it or they'll not in a, I'm bulldozing, but kind of just like, I'm going to show up and flow and I'm Mm -hmm. not going to interrupt that process. And then I'll meet people where they are. If somebody's like, Hey, I don't really appreciate the conversation you're having. Like, Oh, thank you so much for speaking up. I'm so happy to change the conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just just trying to fit into the world that it is right now. And as you know, we live in a bubble, so Mm -hmm. it's really easy for us to drop in have this conversation. And then for other people, it's, the very first time I did a treatment on my face, like a facial a couple of days ago, and the woman was in shock about what I do for work. And she's like, mm. I never even heard of anything like that. And I'm like, wow. oh, that's so weird. Because like, I know every day. Every- <laughs> like, oh, you have a coaching business? And yeah, like, yeah. The conscious and spirituality is based yeah, yeah. me too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know it is sometimes easy to forget that bubble. And however, I think that what you just named in being yourself, like in any situation, is opening up a perspective for people that they may not be likely not be getting in their everyday life. And whether they're just a fly on the wall or an active participant, it gives people, and I have this experience maybe with friends that from years and years ago, but a new way to communicate, a new level of safety and trust, like what you were bringing up earlier, is your ability to just get curious and like name something or bring something up or just question something. And that's oftentimes a lot of people don't have the courage to do that because they think they may be rejected or if they don't participate, they won't be liked or kicked out of the tribe and nobody wants that. Yeah. They don't see a value in themselves. But one of the things that I've learned through so many of my closest friends who are very different than I am, which is why we really, it hits right. Some people are communicators and some people are feelers. Some people are taking consciousness and streaming it through verbal communication and articulation the way that I do. Mm-hmm. It's a great gift. Mm-hmm. It is not the best gift. It's not the only gift. I have my best friend who is a feeler. She doesn't really, we don't talk much. Mm-hmm. We've been best friends for over five years. 
and she always drops me into my body and I drop her into a deeper thought process. Mm-hmm. It's very symbiotic. So it's really cool. And one of the things that I was just thinking about the conversation when we're talking one about being fully expressed on this podcast and that being authentic is I think one of the other things that comes up too is there's a big difference between showing up authentically and meeting people when your authentic expression rubs up against them, which is like always happening. That's kind of the biggest fear is like, what if my authentic expression causes somebody else to have an experience? Cool. You meet them there. What is not authentic expression is like, this is my authentic expression. Right. And it's like very bolstery. And I see that a lot of time with the eroticized goddess mm, shadow that yeah. a lot of us have in mm. our feminine expression. It's like me, this is who I am and you will like it. And uh-huh. if you don't, you'll get out of my way. And so if you're someone who tends to be on the side of more reserved and then you met somebody who T- expresses themselves yeah. that mm-hmm. way, just know that's not authentic <laughs> expression. That's still a form of projection. It's so tricky because there's yes. so many different mm-hmm. ways that it all shows up. It's and like authenticity di- is like a pocket uh-huh. that it doesn't necessarily look a certain way, but it feels a certain mm-hmm. way. And in the presence of authenticity, your authenticity will always feel safer. Yeah, I love that. I want to circle back before I forget on one of your normal conversations you were having earlier, because I wanted to ask you about consent. And where do we go wrong in teaching our children consent? Like what's missing there? Well, kind of slightly well studied on child development, Mm -hmm. but I would say not a ton. So do your own research. There's a lot of great books out there. And for me and my personal experiences and what I see with the children in my community is There's a term going around right now called gentle parenting, which is really just treating your children like fucking human beings and Mm. other parents. They don't do that because we don't have consent with ourselves and we don't understand our own needs. And so then when a generation has children, all of the inconveniences and the lack of awareness and the poor communication skills just get transferred onto that child. And so consent is not something that looks a very specific way. It's very, very energetic and it's very felt. And what it is, is babies, for instance, that you don't need to ask a baby, can I pick you up? That Mm -hmm. baby's a worm. They need your help. And that's, it's an important part of their survival Mm -hmm. for the mother to be fully there to meet that baby's needs. However, when that child starts to develop the ability to pick things up themselves, put things on their own body, hold their own neck up now it's kind of always a conversation. It's always, okay, we need to put your clothes on now. It's not a, do you want to put clothes on to go outside? No, you're the parent. They need to put clothes on whether they want to, but the portion of where you give your child authority, like, okay, we're putting clothes on to go outside because it's cold and we want to play. Mm -hmm. Would you like for me to help you put your shirt on? Mm -hmm. Or would you like to do that yourself? Now, if your child is not capable of putting their shirt on, that's not a opportunity to give them that right. consent, right? Because yeah. now you're now they're just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't make sense. But in the moments where you start to see your children like push back on things, mm-hmm. like that's them trying to learn where their authority is. And that's essential for mm. their life. And so if you're an adult who as soon as that happens, it's like it's inconvenient for you and you don't have the time and the space mm-hmm. to wait for them to put their own shirt on. What you're teaching that child ultimately is either I will not respect that you want to have this authority for yourself and you want to put your own clothes mm-hmm. on or the time that it's taking you to do that is not worth me sitting and waiting for you. And so I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't hurry up and learn how to learn things very quickly or let me do it for you, even though you don't want that to happen, now they have a personality pattern that's either let people do it. It's like, if I can't get it done fast enough, well, can you just do it for me? Yeah. And now you have an adult that 
shows up that way. We've all dated that person right. or we've been that person, right. right? So I think the conversation around consent, first and foremost with children starts happening with their bodies mm-hmm. and then it becomes, oh, it's always a conversation. It's not like one thing that you do. It's a continuous conversation that's happening as they're moving further and further into their developmental years where they're now capable of making discerning decisions for themselves. And I think anywhere that your child has a complete and total lack of a discernment and awareness is an opportunity for you to step in and to be that pillar for them. Where there starts to become awareness and discernment, that's an opportunity for you to step back and to give them the space to learn what they want and how they want to communicate about it and how it feels safe for them to receive it. Because if a child really wants love and affection, but the only love and affection you give them is when they don't want it or with people that they don't want, then it's very confusing around that consent conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you don't have children, right? No. Okay. Yeah. I don't either. And what I want to ask is what else do you see? Like what's the difference in Gentle parenting, teaching a child how to be an adult rather than you making them this codependent child until one day they are no longer in your household and then they can't figure it out for themselves and they have no process. Like, where's the, in addition to consent, what else do you see is needed? And I know you spent a little bit of time around children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite a bit of time. Yeah. yeah. My partner has a one and a half year old that I get to see a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. And then my best friend has a baby, I have nephews. So what I see, because my, my sister and my brother-in-law are, are very in the gentle parenting space. And mm-hmm. what it, it's really around is that your emotional expression is of the highest importance in this household, mm-hmm. which means it doesn't actually matter what's really going on. What matters is that you feel supported with the way that it, you're experiencing what's going on. Because there's no amount of fucking broccoli that your child can eat that can make up for the damage that will happen when you manipulate them into eating foods that they don't want to, that potentially their bellies don't even really Mm. process very well. And on top of that, you shame them and then you reward them. And it becomes this entire conversation around like, it doesn't matter what you do or don't want. I'm not going to listen to that. I know what's best. I haven't given you any kind of informed consent. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in your ability to make decisions for yourself mm. and I will manipulate you to do what I want you to do. Mm. That's Damn. Yeah. How most of my friends and I were raised. Right. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the gentle parenting too is like your child, if you give your child a glass of water and that child drops that water and breaks that glass looking at that child and be like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. if you can't hold the glass, like it's like immediately completely putting all of the responsibility mm-hmm. on this person who's learning about responsibility mm-hmm. by a parent who can't take responsibility for the fact that you chose to give that child the glass, knowing good and well that they're still learning their fucking motor skills. Right. And yeah. Like, yeah. like depth perception, and uh-huh. like all of these things, right? So it's a lot of being really kind in that expression. And then too, like the gentle parenting, if like a child begins to have a tantrum and then you decide to, to use that as almost like a way to punish them. It's like while they're in the tantrum, like I told you this is going to happen and mm-hmm. completely just like kicking them while they're down and totally invalidating that their experience is wrong and, and using it to leverage whatever lesson you're trying to teach to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, really just being very annoyed with children when obviously they're still learning communication patterns. And so if they're constantly asking a lot of questions and they're not getting the answer that they want to and then being annoyed with them and then Mm -hmm. rejecting them, pushing them away or saying that they're annoying or something like that. It's like, I wouldn't treat my partner like that. And if you do, if you would treat your partner like that, then there's a lot that could be healed Mm -hmm. before you bring in a little person whose emotions are very 
open for interpretation. All the interpretations that they're going to learn are going to come through the lens of how they see you honor your own emotions and then theirs. And what do you learn about yourself around children? Man, I learned so much about the type of child that I was based on like the things that children do that really trigger me, like these still very unconscious patterns. My nephew is one of them. If my sister feels really overwhelmed and she needs space because she feels overwhelmed by him, the way that he interprets that is like, I want to fix you. And so Mm. then he will cling to her and poke at her and like, but give me more attention. This will fix you. Give me more attention. When really she's like, the last thing I want is I just want you to get away from me. Mm -hmm. Right. And she never meets him like that. She's so beautiful in how she meets him in those spaces. But there was one day where I was over there and my brother-in-law was gone and it was just me, my sister and the two kids and it was nap time. And there was no chance that my nephew, who is now four, wanted to go down for a nap at all. And my sister was having an emotional day. So she was having her experience. Then he's having his experience. And now she can't have her experience because she has to meet his experience. And his experience was very, very like clingy. I need you. Like play with me. Do this. He was throwing toys across the house. He was picking on his little brother. It was like pretty much all of the things that was like screaming like, I need attention right now. And just watching watching one me knowing that that was the type of child that I am and still the type of adult I am in certain moments with my partner. Like there are moments where I feel so abandoned that there is no level of logic. It does not matter about the emotional maturity that I've been able to increase. It doesn't matter about the work that I've done. There is a primal and terrified, small, insecure need of mine to have, to know that I'm important, that know to know that my existence is important. And so watching that and seeing like why it's so triggering. And then on this other side of that, watching the natural impulse that I have to force him to comply. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to go in the bedroom and like I could see myself holding his little arms and being like, you are going to stay in this bed and you're not going to get out. And don't you do another thing that is really annoying to me. And then going through the shame spiral of like, oh my God. Like seeing that piece and then like, oh, oh, this is why people hurt their children Mm -hmm. because they don't have the emotional capacity to hold their own emotional experience, much less another person's emotional experience. And they're tired and they're sick and they're working two jobs and there's all these things. And I have no kids and I have no emotional capacity for this. And then, so most people are building their emotional capacity by having children, which is like, talk about getting thrown into the fire. No, you're not taking a course and then like slowly working your way up. It's like full blown ayahuasca ceremony. As soon as you have children, you're in it until the day Mm -hmm. that they're gone from the Mm -hmm. house and so on and so forth. So in that moment, I just learned my own communication with myself of like when I get in that fussy place, like there are times where I just like snap myself out of it. I'm like, I could just slap myself and be like, fucking get it together. Mm. And that's a breaking point for me is like when I get to that place where I'm there, I'm so far past the point of needing support. I need support from someone. And this is a huge part of how we learn interdependence Mm. and how we get away from codependence and we learn independence is by feeling safe enthralls of codependence Mm -hmm. you know like an infant needs their mother yeah they are truly truly dependent yeah every day from that moment forward through these different conversations around consent and personal authority and responsibility Mm -hmm. and validating their feelings they learn independence through that yeah if you didn't really learn that independence in a safe way we still need that which is why we do so much reparenting in relationships Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so yeah i I feel like i'm learning how to reparent myself every time i look at my nephews Mm -hmm. and my capacity when i first met my partner who has the year and a half old i mean my first thought about him when he was interested in me was like absolutely not i'm not interested in because of the the child yeah well the whole dynamic yeah yeah just like having a daughter and being like i'm not 
close to children. I'm like three to five years out. Mm -hmm. And then within the year of dating him, being surrounded by children and my capacity to just see their little experiences that are actually not little to them. They're equally as big as if you or I were trying to get into college and we were having issues with that. Their little toy truck that broke is the equal size to that experience. And if I turn around and I'm like, you fuck your little truck, like I'm trying to get into college, Mm -hmm. that matters more than it's like, oh, now and how many times have I invalidated and gaslighted myself in my own experience mm-hmm. because somebody else had a bigger problem right. and that's a tough conversation right now because what's going on in the world like yeah. there are some people whose lives based on what's going on in the world their quality of life has decreased tremendously and their circumstances are incredibly difficult and that has absolutely nothing to do with me needing to validate my own experience and how difficult things have been for me yeah I found that's like the greatest challenge is this like uh, objective comparison with others struggles and there really is no such thing because if we're going through it to us that's our world in this moment just like that truck is the entire world of that child in that moment and it's so easy in fact a protective mechanism to like oh they have it so much worse or they're suffering more over there or i gotta go help them and it actually keeps us from just being with accepting and dealing with whatever experience we're having so that we can have capacity to then deal with that child or the partner or anything else in the world. And there's no separation as we know. I'm sure your listeners are very in the world of knowing that we are one. Mm -hmm. And so the shadow thrives by driving us into separation. So the idea that another person's situation is better or worse or that we don't deserve to grief our own grief because that person has more grief if we were able to just fully sit into the feeling of like how much it hurts for us to watch another person in grief, we would actually be able to access our own grief yes. and get closer to unity. Yes. So the bypassiness of that, it's something that must go. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it must go. Must go. <laughs> go and now. The sooner that it goes, the quicker that we will be able to heal the very systemic detrimental components that we've been experiencing over the last couple of years that are absolutely not new, but new to most people's awareness. Mm-hmm. And we're just in the game of life, yeah. you know, coming all merging back to each other. And that's why I absolutely love doing this work in group setting and not even just like work in the formal context, but like doing it with other people. Like every time someone is in their experience, like a part of me is shifting too. And a part of me is healing too. And anytime someone is fully expressed in their vulnerable emotions, like it gives me more access to that myself because yeah. I can like attune to that energy. I can feel them. You immediately feel safer with mm-hmm. someone. You watch yes. somebody have breakdown, you mm-hmm. watch somebody have a moment of ecstatic joy. Mm. It's so interesting because I never experienced like the only projection state I experience is like either what about me? Like if somebody has a full on release, I've had moments where my inner child's like, what about my release? Mm, And then it's like, oh, I haven't gotten to that level of safety to be able to lubricate out whatever Whatever it is. It's like stuck, you know, it's Uh like, how do you get it out? Or just in awe of somebody who can get to that level of radical honesty with themselves and God and recognize that nothing is separate. So these perceptions of everybody that's watching them from the outside, it's like ultimately just their own internal judges that they're kind of calibrating to as things are happening and their lack of awareness and presence, like right where they are in that moment and the acceptance of right where they are. Like when people break through and I, cause I now I've had so many breakthroughs that I know what it's like to break through. Mm-hmm. I now just stand in awe every single time because the amount of like little things that need to hit right at the exact same time and the level of awareness that someone 
someone has to have and groove through and the discomfort that's present while simultaneously like the opportunity and like the pleasure and the pain and like all the things at once. That's what I live to create those experiences for people. It's like, I'm here to just support you on the way to finding the pocket. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the pocket or the cave or whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. you're there. Yeah. (laughs) And I will just have to wait for you on the other side because Mm -hmm. in those moments, it's like no one's coming to save you. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. That's the full expression that when you see somebody in that space, it's like confidence, like, right. That's the first thing that you think of. That person is so confident. Yeah. And that's like the number one compliment that I get from people on a very regular basis. So in listening to that feedback and sitting with, well, what is it? Because it's confidence is just one word, but so many more things than really just that. And the authentic being able to meet yourself in that moment with all of those little tiny things happening at the exact same time, that little bit of sadness, that little bit of joy and not trying to get away from the sadness and move more into joy. So now the joy is a little bit of a projection state. It's like, it's just feeling enough of everything to sit and go, this is my truth, not the overall truth because the overall truth of unity, but this is my truth in this moment. I accept exactly what I'm experiencing right now. And then the next thing, you know, it's like huge (laughs) expression comes. Yeah. Sometimes the form of dancing, singing, Mm -hmm. any type, right? Yeah. Bliss. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite pastime. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> We're just chasing those. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Speaking of your own personal chasing journey, growth, what is the current season of transformation you're in right now? Like, what are you moving through? What are you on the other side of? What feels stable in your life right now? Yeah. Consciousness is so weird. <laughs> so it's so fascinating. It's always evolving. <laughs> And I spent the last really seven years of my life, which is around the time my dad died about seven years ago for context of like when shit really started shifting Mm. for me. I just spent time collecting so many tools, so many resources, so much language, (laughs) all so that I could just leave it all behind. Mm -hmm. And those pieces are integrated in me, but I'm no longer carrying them externally anymore the way that I used to. They're like a part of me and I can now be like talked about earlier, like naked Mm -hmm. with all these components of myself that I've learned about the tools and the allies that I've taken with me and all the friendships I've made in my life, whether they've been codependent or not, the depth of those relationships. It's like, I don't actually need those people to be with me in person. I can just think of that person and it will shift me. And so I understand the philosophies of like having nothing and, not that I, that's how I want to live. I really enjoy my lifestyle, my house and my things, but I understand I'm in the place now for the very first time where as I'm scaling my business, my personal brand and doing retreats and getting ready to do more podcasts and put my face and my name and my teachings out there more publicly, if all of it were to crash and fall and burn in the way that other people would perceive as such a big failure, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly why I'm here and I don't need it to look a certain way. I know what it looks like to serve now. So I would say the season of transformation I'm in right now is having confronted all the parts of myself that were blocking me from being able to serve and experience an immense amount of joy in service Mm. and being liberated to know that service is how you lose yourself in love. 
and in bliss and in rapture, right? Yeah. And before it's like, I wanted to serve. Right. I wanted to, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a good person and right. I wanted to help other people, but like, fuck, I couldn't help myself. Right. Like, my ego was like, mm-hmm. I want to serve because I want to be known as somebody that yeah, serves exactly. like, all these components. Uh-huh. And unfortunately you can't pretend to be something that you're not. Energy doesn't lie. So I've spent the last couple of years just really looking at these hard, sharp parts of myself that were ultimately developed in my fundamental years, my childhood and maybe past lives, if you believe in that. And in my relationships and these hard memories that are stored in my body and the way that my body responds to the world and the threats around me and the perceived threats and just being able to come to a place where I really do feel like I'm in the big integration phase of life where I do realize I created it all. Mm. I see my spinal injury, my endometriosis, autoimmune symptoms, the loss of my father, the loss of friendships, like all these things as not necessarily that I did these things intentionally, but that I chose this life and these circumstances so specifically for this beautiful dance that I knew would be, it's like the exact dance I don't want to do, right? It's like, I'll do any other dance. Give me any other dance Uh except for this one. And that's why this one fucking hits. Uh That's why this is the one because I've given myself all of the things in which I would bring me to my knees. Mm -hmm. And then I get to meet myself while I'm on my knees and realize that like that is my most powerful version, Mm -hmm. right? I've been through a pretty big transformational phase around working with, you know, there's a lot of different words for it, like shadow work, shadow realms, demon realms, demonic realms, depending on how juicy you really want to get. And when I first started my journey in 2020 around that stuff, I had a mentor that was like all about it. She's like demon slayer. And I was like, I don't really believe in that stuff. And I used to be Catholic and like, and then going into ayahuasca and just experiencing three of my seven ceremonies being full on in the hell realms. And one of those ceremonies being 10 and a half hours of just me fighting, just fighting in the hell realms. No surrender. I did not surrender. Yeah. That's not, why it was I, 10 and a half hours. Yeah, like, you know, you're like, I have all the tools. I have uh-huh. more tools than most of the people uh-huh. I know. Like, how many more tools could I have? And deep humility in that so much that I learned. But in this space now where I see spirits and I have for quite some time since my very first 5-MeO DMT journey, which, man, talk about disclosures. They don't have those when you do medicine like that. You do not know what you're going to open up. And it's really important to go in with a lot of reverence and intentionality. And I don't mean the intention of like, show me where I'm not free. I mean, like really clear intentions, right? But having experienced these different realms and these realms that we're going in through psychedelics, that we're going in through meditation and Joe Dispenza work and lots of different ways we can access I, I've come to this place where I realize that the darkest and scariest demon that I'll ever meet will be the one that I've consented and contracted with. And it doesn't always necessarily show up in the version of a being. The entities can be frequencies. It can be ideas. It can be something that you consent to in order to feel the illusion of power when you've lost power mm. versus taking the radical responsibility it takes to say, I fucking gave that power away. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of low frequencies that we've all consented to at this point. And so I'm in a big transition now of seeing what I'm truly afraid of, which is just myself and to to have to look at myself and my ancestors and where we made irreversible compromises that are so detrimental to the future of this planet and our children and our system and our collective, right? And in ceremony or in 
my life to look at the severity of that and to go, that is a part of God and that is a part of God that lives in me and to be able to hold that truth in reverence for the very intricate path that it takes to have to make very hard decisions and Mm -hmm. not have good teachers along the Mm -hmm. way and have to become good teachers from having bad teachings and to shed those teachings. And that's why like the path of the snake and the path of the shedding and the path of ayahuasca and like all these things, it's like, I just have so much respect for anybody that's on the journey. And especially, you know, one of my favorite things right now is when I meet somebody who's early on their journey and their ego is just like fucking fired up. I'm a shaman. Uh I'm going to do it. Uh And I just bow to that person and I'm no longer triggered by them the way that I used to be because I was that person. I just bow to that person and I'm like, please go with humility. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Find some humility before you go all in. It finds you. you. Yeah. It finds you. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. yeah, but I will say humility is one of my absolute favorite forms of radical expression that Mm. it seems like one of the hardest places for me to get to Mm. the level of ego that keeps me from being able to fall to my knees and not be bartering or negotiating with any part of consciousness, Mm. but just, curled up almost womb-like of like I have nothing to offer Mm -hmm. and in that you're offering everything Everything. just by by accepting that Uh yeah awesome yeah it's awesome yeah yeah do you have any examples in your life of that level of deep humility oh yeah 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 so in 20 in 2020 towards the end around July I it was really the first time that I started playing around in these like other realms and learning about psychedelics in a deeper way that was like some of the irreversible and more pay attention to this and don't be so careless just doing mushrooms at music yep. festivals. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. a no for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a no for me. I learned. I did a series of combo, which mm-hmm. is the frog medicine. And I did three of them in one moon cycle, kind of back to back. And I believed in magic kind of like I'd bought crystals earlier that year and like I knew that I knew frequency was a thing but I didn't have enough studying on like the science of it so I my, my human brain couldn't really ground into it but I do need to feel really grounded in spiritual philosophy otherwise even though I do believe in a component of that it hasn't felt grounded to me so it's not something that I study or really yeah. talk about but I did this series of combo and my combo lady was like you know what are you here for and I'm like just shed what no longer serves me and she's like great <laughs> well one of the things she really liked to do is to work around like ancestral stuff is there anyone in your lineage that you feel like you really need to clean the lines with and I was mm-hmm. learning about cord cutting and mm-hmm. all these things and I was like well I was adopted and I know that my birth mom had a lot of trauma so maybe her she was like great so I write my birth mom's name on a piece of paper I write my name I write my birth grandmother's name on a piece of paper write my name I do this cord cutting ritual I burn it over a fire it's super cool I do the combo up until that point I had spent 28 years of my life being a crazy nail biter I mean to the point where I've tried everything to stop biting my nails I woke up the next morning and I haven't bit my nails since and my nails are so thick and so strong I'll actually if you want I'll give you a photo because like I grow, <laughs> I grow them out to where they're just like so crazy like so witchy really people comment that I haven't cut now because of the kids but it was to the point where six months in, I would look down at my hands and I would be like, 
I didn't even ask for this. It was so crazy. And it really, really wow. set in that some of these little ticks and habits that we have that we really don't have. For instance, my partner, when I met him, he had a serious sharp object phobia. I mean, to the point where he has never used forks for 28 years of his life. Whoa. And we did a little bit of like ancestral digging and then we went to acupuncture and he healed it. He healed it overnight. It was like he came back the next day. I mean, literally would not use a fork for everyone that knows him in his life knows he didn't use forks. What? And then all of a sudden now he uses forks, knives, no issue with it at all. It was insane. So I started getting into like this idea of we're a whole conglomeration of all this energy that's been passed down through epigenetics and DNA and energetics and all just all these things that we, I couldn't even explain at the time. And I was like, I believe that if you make a shift in an old story, for instance, you have someone who's terrified of water, but did they have a bad experience with water? No, maybe someone in their family drowned. And we've seen these studies and in, in some different books, like uh, I didn't start with you as a really yeah. great reference mm -hmm. for that. And you're only three generations removed from the Holocaust, two generations removed from the Holocaust. You better believe that you've got some information in your genes that are firing all the time. And it doesn't mean that that's relevant information for you, but we do need to process it out. And yeah. so sometimes that processing out is a crazy experience. So I did that and I was like, wow, this is really cool. I came home from that experience and I was doing like a full moon ritual, which was also just like the moon is cool and I know it affects water and like, <laughs> yeah. but again, not very grounded. Uh -huh. And I was sitting there and we started doing a prayer over my womb and I wasn't even on my moon. I wasn't even bleeding. And the next thing I know, I lost a liter of blood in the prayer. Instantly, I bled through my pants, through the fucking pillow, through the blanket on the floor. What? I run to the bathroom because I'm like, my assistant is like, should I call 911? It yeah. was so much blood. I've never seen that wow. much blood in my life. And we were freaking out. And my intuition was so strong. It was, do not go to the doctor. Do yeah, not like yeah. sit with this. And I would not suggest that to another person. Right. That was just, just my personal Trust yourself. Yeah. I decided to do, would never suggest that to someone else. But from that moment, I started having endometriosis and it started revving up to the point where over Christmas, not at this last year, but of 2020, I ended up actually going to the emergency room because I was so delusional from the severity of pain. And for any women who have endometriosis, it's severe. Like there's a lot of people who've had endometriosis who've also had children who say that the contractions, the pain is similar, maybe not as severe as having a child, but mine would go on for seven days at a time. I would lose so much blood. I couldn't even leave the house. It was just oh like God. not even possible. Yeah. And I would go through the phase where like 1 p.m. in the afternoon to 6 p.m. in the afternoon, I would be in the fetal position on the floor, sometimes throwing up, screaming and writhing in pain. And what started coming up for me because I went through, I was like very against pharmaceuticals at the time too. And I was fucking popping yeah. hydrocodone. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. you reach a threshold where yeah. your judgment's right. out the window. Mm -hmm. It's like survival. And that's mm -hmm. where I was. And then I decided because it wasn't helping, the painkillers weren't helping. So I decided to do what I usually do. And I was like, I'm going to get really centered with this energy that's present with me. It's clearly communicating something. Yes. And I'm going to listen. And I remembered about my nails and I was like, this is an opportunity for me to not just heal something, but to actually be a part of the process versus just waking up one day and it being there. Right. And I knew I wanted to do that. So I stopped taking the pills. I started just meditating when I would be in pain. I started pulling cards. All the cards I pulled were like apocalypse, seed, go back to your birth, witness in your tears, gnosis, all these really intense cards. And then when I would be in so much pain, I would get these fantasized flashes of me destroying everything in my house and just taking a baseball bat and smashing the windows and just like, wow. So 
I look up in Chinese medicine, talking about endometriosis that really has no cause in Western medicine. And in Chinese medicine says it's stagnant energy. It's mm-hmm. energy that won't move. And it's stagnant blood pockets is what creates mm-hmm. the severe inflammation and it gets worse. And so I was like, man, I bet I got some repressed rage. Maybe that's <laughs> what this is. And I started journaling about my relationship yeah. with rage while well, my dad had PTSD really bad. And I would say me and my mom, and my sister were the only ones that really got to experience that version of him. And I learned very early on that that was not a proved version of expression. And Mm -hmm. the only time that I would ever use that expression was either to get him to explode so that we could get to the next part, which was safety. Or when I would lose my shit, somebody would get hurt. I mean, I've given my mom a black eye before, broken things in the house. I've gone to jail for fighting. I fought people when I was young. In my high school years, I was very much known for starting fights and Mm -hmm. breaking my hand on a weekend just because I didn't like the way some girl looked at me. And so then it was like, is this really a surprise? If I asked anybody in my life, do you think I have repressed rage? Like everybody would be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like people uh-huh. know if you have money issues, right. whether you want to admit it or not. Right. People know if you have rage issues, whether you want to admit it or not. So I followed that thread hmm. and I ended up going into this 5-MeO DMT experience. And by this point, I had lost so much blood. I had no iron in my system. I had run blood tests. My thyroid was failing. And I didn't tell anybody because people would have been like, go to the fucking doctor. doctor. And I was like, no, I can't do that because I've come so far and I know that I'm building a relationship with something greater than what I can see in front of me. And I've always had that faith. That's something that's very important to me. And so I went into a five MEO DMT experience and it was at nine o'clock at night. It was the only opening they could get me in at. And when I showed up, I had nothing nice left to say. Mm Even the woman who I respect so much, I couldn't even look her in the eye. I just looked down and I was just, I don't have anything to offer you. You know, the bartering that happens with God. It's like, I swear I'll stop smoking if you just give me my partner back or like all these little, little tiny, tiny, tiny things or I'll change my life. I'll be better. And like, we're always in this like negotiation with consciousness and with God. And I just didn't have any of that left. And so I did the largest dose I'd ever done. I relived my entire birth. I looked at my shaman at one point and I said, I'll never come back from this. Will I? And she said, no, I said, I'm dead. I'm dying. And she said, yeah. And the experience that I actually felt was this deeply humbling being like raw naked at the altar with God, where I realized that the person that I'm the most afraid to show my rage to is God, because I learned that the masculine and that masculine consciousness is very punishing and it holds memory. And then it uses that memory against you and that it will take your own experience and it will punish you and make it about itself. And so my experience with God, based on what I experienced with my father was fragmented. And Mm -hmm. in that moment, I had an opportunity within the realm of spirit, God and consciousness to rewrite that story Mm -hmm. and to say, fuck you. I fucking hate you. And to release the level of severe rage that I felt towards being adopted, being handed off to strangers, being bullied, being sick, being raped, losing my dad, all the accumulation of like a lifetime, 30 years worth of that. And I remember screaming, how could you, how could you, this is so fucked up at God and being met with pure Christ consciousness, like give it to me, give it to me. And after that day, I didn't know if it was going to be healed or not. Like I didn't know. And so I woke up and it was one of those things where I was like, what if I did all that? And then it just comes right back. It was just you know? like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're like, nah, that just wasn't another it. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. yeah. So the next day I, for what it was Christmas Eve, 2020. Wow. 
I was all alone. My mom had left town and my sister was gone and I just started dating my partner. And so I was just at my house by myself and I started to feel the pain coming back on around 1 p.m. So I ran myself a bath. I put music on. And I was like, I knew kind of how to distract myself. And this time, instead of hiding myself from God and I let him have it all. I went from singing to dancing to screaming to sobbing to laughing and it never ended. It was like an oscillation, one giant breath that everything just continued to breathe. And I started to understand feminine expression. I started to understand children. I started to understand the embodiment of spirit moving like the wind Mm -hmm. and the water and all these philosophies. I mean, I was just getting downloaded. It was like, as I was grieving and releasing all this new information was coming in. And that's actually what created my wake in the medicine woman retreats that I do. And like the whole, I mean, so much of my life was created in that six hour reliving of that ceremony. And the last little bit of that story is that when I was integrating the component of showing up at the altar naked, I had done that. And then after Mm. that, the only thing that was left was just to wait and see if it Mm. came back and if it was all for nothing or whatever. And the humility in that process and where I got to really shift my victimhood and where so much of the old and the dying and the weak left me was realizing if the endometriosis comes back, it's because it's not done teaching me yet. So I bought a punching bob, the ones you can buy at Academy. It's like a man. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can punch the shit punch out of him. Him. I bought him. I bought punching gloves. I put it in my garage and I just sat and I waited for it to come back. And I was like... <laughs> I'm going to get the most out of this. Like I was like, I'm going to write so much content. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be in pain and I'm going to be singing and crying and I'm going to record it all. And I'm just going to, I felt so inspired of service. Talk about service to share it with the world and be like, not in a narcissistic way, but I want people to see what, the human experience actually is whether wow. you're actually expressing it or not. This is what's going on under the surface for every single mm-hmm. person in some iteration yeah. or another. Mm-hmm. And it never came back. Mm. And then I had to grieve what felt like a missed opportunity. Like, man, like mm. what if I wasn't present enough with it while it was here? Mm-hmm. What if I missed an opportunity? And I, it wasn't that I wanted it to come back. It was just, I didn't appreciate it for what it was. And wow. the grief that came with that was a very profound lesson that I could wow. not have learned in any other way. Wow. Um, it's still like very, as you can tell, like it's still very mm-hmm. with me. And yeah, so I would say that is the example that I have of showing up humbled with absolutely nothing left to give mm-hmm. yourself or anyone else. And I would say that if you're in a place where you're really wanting to serve and to be in your purpose and you've never hit that level of rock bottom before, for some people, it's not that you're not already at that rock bottom. It's just, you won't admit it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that level of radical acceptance of where you actually are versus where you need to believe that you are in order to feel like you can cope. If you just really let yourself feel where you are and what is happening, really feel, not make decisions from that place, but just, full acceptance of exactly what is in that present moment, it'll move like the wind. It'll happen Mm. so fast. It'll oscillate through you, laughter, crying, tears, singing, dancing. And then on the other side, there will be so much clarity and then a deeper ability to serve for sure. And Mm. with service, one of the greatest forms of service is radical authenticity, radical authentic expression, being an expression and a conduit of consciousness that no one else could possibly be because that is what you came here for. And this is the work that it takes to get to that place. Wow. Thank We're doing you. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that story. I was sitting here in awe as you were sharing that. Okay. And I know you and I didn't even know even 
1% of that story. Yeah. So thank you. I haven't you. shared it much on social media just for the sheer fact that a lot of women have endometriosis and I never want to diminish yes. what they're experiencing or the avenue that they've taken to find healing, mm -hmm. nor do I want to tell people what is the right yeah. avenue for them. So it's tender for me. Yeah. I want to protect it. It's very sacred. Yeah. And there's a lot of philosophy in there that doesn't actually have to do with the 5-MEO or mm -hmm. anything that I did. It was more about how I was choosing to be. Mm -hmm. And until I feel that I can create content that very clearly articulates that, I will probably just share in moments like this. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. It almost feels like there's like no shortcut around the fact that like all of us are having our own unique journey and what may look the same for you and someone else listening may be very different in like what you need to face and what part of yourself you need to touch and find. And, and find through other people. I mean, there's been many times where I've found a piece of my journey through an avenue that was not right for me. Mm -hmm. But yes, everywhere yes. that you are, there's something, there's mm -hmm. some, some mm -hmm. kind of message waiting for you. You don't end up in a place where you're not communicating with yourself. You're always communicating with yourself. It just, if your awareness is on the next thing, you miss it in, yes. that, in that thing right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's like exactly what was coming to me is, is like, the speeding past it is actually this like what keeping you from being in it and just like this oftentimes like in my experience if there's no answer there if i just slow down slow down everything in my life in my mind slow down and just be at the deepest level of presence that i can possibly get to yeah there's at least one hint towards that answer there's like the next step towards that answer or maybe it's just patience mm -hmm. it's like sitting the answer is patience is is in the waiting yeah yeah i have a book called yoga sutras that mm -hmm. my friend gifted to me and i have a page marked in there i will send you a picture of it because it's one of the most profound okay. sutras i've ever read and it just says presence is speaking to this person and it says you will not find me at the end of a long winding road you will not find me when you've searched everywhere I have always been here all along. I will always be here. And just the connection that you don't need to go looking for presence. Mm -hmm. It's always there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just sometimes being present with how hard it is to feel present and like just accepting that emotion in the moment. Cause we have this idea of what we think presence is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this clarity moment of yeah. like bliss and like nothingness. And it's not like no. presence is actually just being with what is. And mm -hmm. for me that what is, on a very, very regular basis is exhaustion, mm. confusion, mm. overwhelm. These are regular emotions that I feel on a sometimes daily basis. Mm -hmm. And my presence of those is what allows me to validate that, oh, I am feeling that. So that allows me to feel why my body is asking for more rest yeah. or that, you know, not that cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like what? But I like it. But I like it. It's but delicious. Like it. Yeah. yeah. And just coming to that place. And I also highly suggest having a practice that at least puts you in the practice of what it looks like to be present. So if that's, mm -hmm. you know, I love the, the tobacco bags that we smoke because mm -hmm. um, tobacco is a prayer medicine. So every time that someone hands me one of those, I'm reminded you're setting prayers. Yeah. So I get present with myself before I take that puff and blow that tobacco smoke into the air because I know that whether I'm being present or not, there's something presently happening and that's what's creating my next experience, my, yeah. my next moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
I started putting, I was saying before we pressed record, just started making more of my life ceremony. And I started just placing these like really subtle, just like the tobacco, these like really subtle pieces of that I do often, like eating, going to the bathroom, like whatever it may be. The moment my eyes open and just having these little prayers, these little intentions to just be present in what I'm doing and not skip over the fact that this is a beautiful part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. Like I love I, making love in every moment. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I started making love when I go pee. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I, I like, st- like to the point to where I crack up hysterically laughing at like how amazing this is. Yeah. yeah. It's really funny because you can find pleasure and pain anywhere that you look for it. Mm-hmm. Confirmation bias. You can find anything if yeah. you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. And so be more intentional with what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. What a pleasure. I love mm-hmm. sharing that story each time I share it, which is, has not been a lot, mm-hmm. less than a handful of times mm-hmm. on podcasts specifically. And even just some of my friend group doesn't know the full story mm-hmm. because like I said, it's just so sacred and it has to feel right to share, but to be able to share and know that in the place of service, like if one person were to hear this episode and that be the thing that leads them to the deeper surrender, mm-hmm. like, it was so worth everything that I did and went through yeah. and to be here and to be able to communicate. It's like God gave me a gift mm-hmm. endometriosis was one of the greatest gifts I've yeah. ever received. Oh. My dad's death, one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. Would I do it the same? Probably not. Mm-hmm. If, if I was able to go back in time, I would trade it. Yeah. And who knows where my life would be. I would not be able to love to yeah. the capacity that I love. I would not be present with people the way I'm present with them. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's where it's, so what does it look like to be present with that? To be present with the gratitude that I feel for being able to understand loss in a way that I wish I'd never had to experience. Mm -hmm. That's a very present feeling for me right now. And I accept that I feel that way and it can feel confusing and I accept that I feel confused and I accept that I'm able to find something so beautiful and something that was so fucked up. Mm -hmm. And then when I find that pocket where I'm like, I really do accept all of this then I will create art and that art will sometimes make me money. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it will bring another person closer to their purpose. Sometimes I'll just create it and then just go on with my life. And those are some of the coolest like little surprises that Mm. that you get. It's like, what are you going to create and how you don't know? That's why it's important to just be like present with the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are the things that you do to remind yourself of that? Like incredibly powerful perspective of this is happening for me and like this will be a gift to me when the worst of the worst quote unquote happens in your life Mm -hmm. when shit hits the fan and I can honestly say that where I'm at right now at this point every single thing reminds me of it Mm. every single thing because I am so here Mm. I know the dance of death (laughs) so Mm. well and I feel like each moment that I'm in pain there is now always a level of exhilaration. Like, what is this? And like, I rub my hands together. And like, that's kind of the feeling that I get a lot of times. It's like this mischievous fucking let's go. Let's go. It's exciting. (laughs) And it's like, I told you earlier, like it's like a playful warrior. Uh It's like life and death, but I know it's not really like life and death. So then I have this ability to meet it. But before this season, which is so new to me, where I feel very grounded and integrated in 
the philosophies we've just talked about yeah. and moving into new philosophies yeah. and what we just shared is something I do feel incredibly integrated mm-hmm. in. Hoppe was a big practice for me. I don't use it anymore. I came to a point where consciousness was like, you're overusing this and mm-hmm. it's not your medicine anymore. And mm-hmm. I kept reaching for it when it didn't serve a purpose and getting nothing out of it. And sometimes that's the dance that we do with substances. Mm-hmm. But Hoppe was a place for me to ground in and to be really present in my body with what I was feeling because one of the greatest ways to honor consciousness as a whole, the universe, God, other people, yourself, is to not leave your body mm. because the leaving of the body is complete and total checking out and the complete and total lack of acceptance of what is. It's like a full-on rejection of what is. Right. And so any kind of embodiment practices that right, right when I feel... I really built a relationship with my nervous system. I think that's one of the most important things for people to learn foundationally. Like I know everyone wants to do psychedelics. It's yeah. super fun to touch God, but learn how to regulate your nervous system. It can actually fracture your nervous yeah, system quite a bit. It yeah. does. Yeah. It has and it does. And yeah. it, it will. It will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so doing practices like hoppe that can be really grounding and is, is beautiful conscious medicine breath work i know it's like so simple it just i mean it's like the same thing how deeply can you breathe <laughs> while you're thinking a thought that you know maybe a week before you would have done everything to not have to think about mm-hmm. how comfortable can you get with what has always made you uncomfortable mm-hmm. i would say the number one advice that i have for everyone is create more space in your life for downtime create mm-hmm. more space in your life for processing we are not computers mm-hmm. and we pretty much live in a lifestyle where we're trying to fit into the same thing that computers are capable of doing mm. and it's not working. And so I've spent years just downsizing the amount of things I do in my day to day to preserve energy. And the lesson is always this. As soon as I slow my life down and I think to myself, "Ooh, this is nice. Why didn't I do this before? All right. What's the next thing I need to do? Create more space slow down more mm-hmm. and i'm like are you fucking serious? yeah like, like how much slower could i get right yeah. and it's because we're waiting for these beautiful pockets that we talked about right like you're waiting for the pocket and on the way to the pocket there's a shit ton of information that's coming through so that you can process it so that you can have more awareness over how far off you are how present you are all these different things these communications that are happening at the same time and if you're really in tune with consciousness it'll be a lot that's why we have like adhd and we really suffer with mental health because the amount of information that's coming in through all these different avenues right that we're on social media we think that we don't absorb everything and just this is one thing my very first ayahuasca ceremony the first 45 minutes of it was me stuck in loops of TikTok songs. What? And it was brutal. I thought, am I going to be here forever? And I was also made me realize that there is nothing that does not come into our field that does not have to be processed. And so be mindful with everything you bring into your field because there's so much that you can't control. And then there's so much that you can control. And so if all day long you're scrolling through all these songs and this information, and then the next thing you know, you're like, you know what? I really need to take some time to process this breakup. But instead, for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to sift through fucking TikTok songs. Mm-hmm. It was a hard lesson for yeah. me. It was very hard. I don't even have a TikTok. Okay? Yeah. It was just like, I was just like on a flight and I was bored and yeah, yeah. Way there. It was a mistake. Or like TV oh, shows man. or whatever. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I would say creating, creating space, creating rituals. Rituals are really important. Having an altar. An altar is really just a very intentional space that you are sitting at and all the things and the components that are on that altar are there to remind you of who you are when you're in truth. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at those pieces, whether that's 
something that your, your grandfather gave you that reminds you of being a good man, if that's money and that you're really working on your relationship with money, if it's something from an animal so that you could remember to stay connected to nature and the essence of an ecosystem, like whatever that is, if it brings you home mm. to stillness and acceptance and love and clarity, put it on your altar and have a designated time where you sit in front of it and you soak in the relationship with all of those things because they're all teachers. Yeah. They all lead to remembrance yeah. of a point at which we were at our highest and greatest. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always had an altar. I just never knew it was called an altar. So did my dad. My dad always had altars. Really? So then when I learned about altars <laughs> through one of my teachers, I was like, Oh, you mean this like shelf with all this weird shit that I yes. put on it and like yeah. I collect these things and I'm uh-huh. like, this is my precious and it's like whatever, uh-huh. you know, it used to be rocks or whatever it is. Mm. Now it's $400 crystals. Yeah. Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. What are you excited about in life right now? I'm really excited about the shift that's coming with my business. I've known for like, quite some time that a huge part of my purpose is to be really of influence and be the face of a lot of evolutionary things that are coming up. It's like, I'm a trailblazer. I'm here to pave a path that no one's ever seen before because I'm going to reach into the void of the unknown and I'm going to create that path and I don't need everybody to follow it and I'm not creating it so that I can be the path leader. I really just know that how unconventional I am and how confident and safe I feel Mm -hmm. in my experiences and how rapid I am able to do healing and to articulate the process of healing is that I'm here to pave a path. Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, I've been able to start calling in the right support to get out of my own way and to stop being afraid to be so radically seen Mm. and to actually start being of service and not worry about the naysayers and all the things that come with that. And I have been afraid of that. I have a very big, bold personality. That's a big part of my gift Gift. to humanity. Mm -hmm. So in that, it's like, it's scary. It's very intimidating. And I'm really excited because I've been calling in the right team and calling in the right opportunities in the space for me specifically to show up in exactly the way that is in my creative genius that allows me to have the most amount of energy reserved and to share the most amount of information that can actually help other people preserve their life force as well. And I feel like I've now found the framework of how I'm going to do that through my membership service. Mm. It'll have a lot of content that's very affordable and it's going to be a lot of these types of conversations Mm. and workshops and articulations. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have offerings more summit style where more people can come to these experiences that I want to host in person on the land. So that's like a huge part. And then the other thing is my friends and I just got 70 acres of land outside of Austin that we're going to be hosting a lot of those experiences on. And a lot of that has to do with me wanting to make sure that any money that I'm making is it's in harmony with nature. So it's like I'm making money and putting it back into the earth, pulling carbon from the atmosphere, creating ecosystems, growing food that was becoming endangered and and animals and bees and all these things. And so I feel very excited about just being in harmony with nature, being in harmony with myself and being in harmony with my community. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for blazing that trail. Yes. I'm yeah. stoked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Where can people find you? Instagram is the easiest. It's my first and last name. And until all the shifts are done and the membership service is up, I have a, a mastermind program that's closing out. This is my final one. And mm-hmm. so normally I would give out that website, but things are going to be shifting and finding oh. me through Instagram is the easiest way. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Chris, for having me. You're welcome.
I have a question. This is a new question that I've been asking recently. Okay. What is the compliment you would most like to receive? I think the compliment that stands out the most is when someone notices how in integrity I am with my spine. And our spine is just like everything that's going on in our field is going to be communicating through posture, through our spinal pattern and how I hold myself. So it's like if somebody was to say in a moment where I'm like feeling a lot, I really appreciate how you held yourself during that experience. That feels like I feel very seen. Thank you. I'm glad I asked you that question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on today, Adrian. I've enjoyed every second of this. You've also made my job so easy in this because I just listened. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, while you so shared. Letting me just share it all. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And I felt like I got to know you on such a different level in this conversation. And yeah, just really grateful for your commitment to yourself and your work. Thank you. That's also a really beautiful reflection. So I'll take that compliment. Yeah, I see it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Fully Expressed Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed this vulnerable conversation with our guest. And if you enjoy this show, please leave us a review, share it with a friend, and let me know if this has impacted your life in any way. You can message me directly on Instagram at Chris Marhefka. And also, if you want to support this show, the show is fully funded by my company, Training Camp for the Soul. Go over and check out trainingcampforthesoul.com where you can find out about our online programs, in-person retreats, and lots of free offerings where we're helping people to transform their lives radically and permanently. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you so much for making this dream a reality.